Hi guys, you're listening to Irrepressible, the podcast. I'm your host, Erica Ashley. I'm an entrepreneur, a content creator, and I have a background in styling where I've worked alongside some of the biggest names in Hollywood, like Ariana Grande and Melissa McCarthy. You're in the right place if you're looking for a realistic approach to life because we're about to have some eye-opening conversations on how to do so. So let's jump into today's conversation. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Irrepressible and happy spring. I am so excited that it's finally spring. I know that's a little ironic to say considering I live in California where the weather is nice all year, mostly, but I feel like seasons bring different energies with them and I feel like I'm pretty sensitive to that and so springtime I'm just very excited to come out of my shell a little bit more, um, purge, clear things out, make space for new. It just feels so fresh and light and airy and like I can take a deep breath and all is okay for a moment and I feel like I can just ground myself uh, a little better in the spring. So I've been loving the fact that it's spring. Uh, I mean, it's only been spring for two days, (laughs) three days by the time you are hearing this, but I just can feel the shift and I'm so excited about it. (laughs) And today's episode actually goes very well hand in hand with the changing of seasons. I have Elliot Brinkley on the podcast and she's the owner of Dancing Willow Herbs, which is an herbal apothecary in Durango, Colorado, which is actually where I'm from. I'm not sure. I don't really talk about specifically where I'm from a lot, I usually just say I'm from a really small town in Colorado because most people have never heard of Durango, but that is where I'm from. It's where I grew up and it's a charming, charming little town. If you are familiar with it, uh, that's where I'm from, but she has an, uh, an herbal apothecary there and it's so cute and she is so incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to plants and herbs and nature and the seasons and food and how it can all support you in a really, um, I want to say holistic, but I feel like holistic kind of gets thrown around a lot lately, but in a really supportive way. And I just thought this episode was fascinating. She even mentions in this episode how we should and why we should be paying attention to the seasons, especially when it comes to what foods are we eating and how it all relates to your body and what your body is craving during seasonal changes and why, which I just thought was so interesting. And she has helped me with things of my own. Like she just, she makes all of her products and she's given me a tour and explained to me a lot of things about how it all comes together and I have eczema it's not something I really ever talk about it's not a super glamorous topic by any means but for years I have struggled to find anything that helps and if you have eczema which a large percentage of the population does it's very surprising you know how uncomfortable it can be and she is the first person in years to have helped me find something that actually works. She gave me, it's actually something that she has in the store for, it's actually for baby's rash, like a little baby's booty. But she told me to put it when I have like an eczema flare up and it works. Like it works almost instantly, which is insane. Uh, Previously, like doctors have just wanted to give me steroid shots or steroid creams or things that are kind of, I don't, I don't do well with things like that. Like my body is very sensitive and I just don't feel like being on steroids long-term is the right move. And so I've kind of just suffered through it, but this actually works and she makes everything herself. And it just, to me is like, oh my God, like I am fascinated by this and I wish more people knew about it because I didn't know about it for the longest time. Like it's very new information for me. So I'm excited to share it with you and she's just the greatest. She's so sweet and I think you'll really enjoy this episode. She gives a lot of resources, books, and things 
um, towards the end if you feel like you want to dive deeper into it, but she uh, goes pretty deep. So without further ado, here is Elliot. I've heard that you just like knew from a young age that this is what you wanted to do. What was that like for you? Like what was that experience in just knowing this is what you were called to do? Well, I, I grew up with a lot of space and we grew up on 10 acres and I was able to roam around, play by myself and make, you know, play with the plants and little fairy dens and play in my tree house. And with a lot of that freedom and being raised in a household that was very focused on natural medicine and you know, my dad was a massage therapist and my mom is a nurse, but she was also very into the holistic ways of healing as well. And so I was raised and immersed in this sort of way of life. And then when I started to become more of an adult, started to know that I needed to pick a path in this world, I was in high school and I remember seeing this plaque on a Chinese medicine doctor waiting room office of like a certificate of herbalism. And I knew that that was something that I wanted to do. And at the time, I didn't really know exactly what that would look like. I wanted to follow the sort of path that everybody else wanted of me, which was to go to college and get a degree of some sort. So I ended up going to the fort which is the college here in Durango, Colorado. And I studied anthropology just because it was interesting. And I was able to really focus on people and the plants that they were using and all these different cultures. And I found that so fascinating. But while I was diving into that, I started working at Dancing Willow Herbs, the apothecary that I now own. And that was what really opened up the deeper relationship with plants, this understanding of how they work within our bodies and being able to go deeper into my interests in that way. And so from there, then I went to herb school and came back and bought the business and all of that. But that was kind of where it started was my childhood being immersed in natural medicine and then knowing that it was something that I wanted to follow from that sort of realization that it was a path you could follow. I knew immediately that I was going to be an herbalist one day, that that was something that I needed to do. What was herb school like? Yeah, well, it's, it is kind of different. People, when I first started saying it, people would be like, do you mean, did I hear art school? Like they didn't understand what herb school was, or they thought I was going to go study like cannabis or something. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, herb school is, there are so many different herb schools out there. There are some that are more energetic based where you're just kind of going out and spending time with plants and trying herbs and learning about herbs. And then there are some which are more science-based and that was what I really, really focused on wanting because that was the piece working at the herb shop. I got a lot of hands-on experience with plants. I knew how to make medicine. I knew basics of what a lot of plants, their medicinal qualities were, but I didn't understand quite the anatomy physiology side of things. I didn't quite understand the mechanism of action of how these herbs were working. And that was the piece that in herb school, I really, really wanted to find. And so the school that I ended up going to, Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism, which is in Boulder area, was very much so exactly the right fit for that. It was really intense curriculum around anatomy physiology. We learned about all of the different systems of the body and it's very medical based, even though I'm not a doctor and all of that, but I have now a really good understanding of what is happening in the body. I know a lot of different conditions and what people are going through. And that was something that I was so happy to learn. And 
We also covered a lot of organoleptics, which is when you taste a plant, so you take a tea or a tincture and you tune in to what that tincture is like in your body. So the organoleptics are like, what does it taste like? What does that feel like on your mouth? Is it warm? Is it cold? Is it bitter or sweet? All of these different qualities. So we were really able to understand these plants on an intimate level based on how they felt in our body. And then we're trained to apply that to different people on a really individual level as everybody has their own unique constitution. And so it was a lot about matchmaking certain plants according to that. And, and we also did botany and went out in the field and did amazing field trips, which were really awesome too. But that was the piece for me that I had really wanted and that I really got from herb school was the science-y chemistry type of stuff. That's so cool. I remember when you gave me a tour of your studio area, I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, there's, it was so much more than what I thought. I was like, this feels like so much chemistry. So I think that's one, really interesting. And two, the point you just said about the tasting things and like, how does it feel? It's so interesting because I think most people don't have that kind of mind-body connection when they're eating something. I think we tune out so much. So I I think that's really incredible that they taught that to you at school. I agree. And it's funny right now I'm drinking some coffee (laughs) and there's even coffee has such a distinct quality to it. You know, it's pretty dry. It's system like systemically drying. Yeah. And that bitterness, but there's, there's so many layers once you start to get into it and like being able to notice just stimulating herbs versus nourishing herbs by the taste is like a really interesting thing that I'm getting into more lately. And yeah, it it creates, when you can develop that understanding of plants, then you don't even really need to know that much about the plant to you taste it and you can know, oh, this is good. This is astringent. This means it's probably good, you know, if I were to get diarrhea <laughs> to astringe the gut, or this is going to be drying for me, as opposed to something that's really moistening. It's like, okay, so this is probably a little bit soothing. This is probably going to cool inflammation. A lot of different things you can tell just by taste. Can you go back to the nourishing versus stimulating? Can you just explain that a little bit more? Yeah. So I'm developing a class right now for the Good Medicine Confluence, which is this herbal conference that takes place in Durango, Colorado every summer. And I'm going to be teaching a class about just immune system and how to notice these different, like, actually building up the immune system instead of stimulating it all of the time and ways that we can do that. But one of the key pieces there is I want everybody to be able to try this difference, to taste some stimulating herbs and then taste some like immune tonic herbs. And you can tell the difference of like stimulating immune herbs, for example, one of them is echinacea that a lot of people are familiar with. And some people Right now, I think there's a lot of focus around immune system and people wanting to stimulate their immune system. And they might long-term be depleting the immune system by just like stimulating it all the time. And echinacea is one of those that can do that. And you can tell that it's stimulating because when you take, if especially if it's a strong tincture or tea, you'll, you'll notice this really tingly quality on your mouth with echinacea. It's like, it can be, it's, it's just intensely, it'll make you salivate and tingle. And that sort of quality, something that's really stimulating, for example, like really bitter herbs immediately make you salivate a lot. They like, and it can be really tight at first and then you salivate. And the, the experience of taking those herbs you can tell is like, it's an intense experience as opposed to taking herbs that are more gentle and food-like 
are usually just kind of neutral on the palate. They'll be a little bit more soothing, soft, and you can tell, like, so if you take those more long-term, it's usually okay. It's usually going to create more balance. They're very food-like. So that is like fine. But when you're taking stimulating herbs and you can tell by that quality on your mouth, long-term it it can deplete people and you're also not getting quite to the root cause of like, oh, why why is my immune system kind of weak? Maybe I need more sleep or need more nourishing foods and stuff like that. So what are an example of some things that are more nourishing versus stimulating, I guess, when it comes to your immune system? Some of my favorites are reishi mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just, I'm always in a perpetual love affair with reishi and it's very neutral it's really great it's food like it's there is a bitter quality to reishi but it can be taken for long periods of time it's more it's more of that sort of neutral when you take it it's bitter but it's like it's more wholesome mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of the way it's more full and Another one that I really love is astragalus, and that's a deep immune tonic, so great for just building up a depleted immune system, and it's also very earthy, food-like. It tastes kind of like bread, like sweet bread. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah, and then marshmallow is one of my all-time favorite plants that I work with all the time, and that is very also sweet food-like, gentle, it's moistening. It can be a little bit cool for somebody long-term, but especially when paired with a little bit of warming herbs, it can be really nice for people who are a little bit colder, but people who are dry, really. I know in Chinese medicine, they talk a lot about, um, and also I think in Ayurveda, but the idea of like warming foods and like nourishing the body instead of having cooling foods all the time. Is that what you're talking about when you are saying like cooling? Yeah, it is. And so I'm trained as a vitalist herbalist. So what that kind of means is we do tend to, not all Western herbalists tend to think about things in this way, but this is the way that I was trained to do so, is looking at everybody on a spectrum of like hot and cold, warm, or sorry, uh, wet and dry. So everybody's kind of has their own little mixture within that. And so if you're, if you tend to run really hot and really dry, you want to, think about things that are going to be cooling and moistening to kind of balance you out in the same way that people in Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine will think about foods and stuff like that to palliate a certain constitution. So yes, and a lot of it is, is the same with food. Um, So it's not necessarily that if you, nobody should eat raw food. I think that it's great to have a little bit of that in almost all of our meals, like especially a little bit. But if somebody is really cold and maybe if they're weak, they don't have a very good digestive system, cold raw foods are going to be really hard for them to digest and are probably going to make them colder. It's not going to be as nourishing as a warm bowl of soup. Whereas somebody who is just like really has a hot constitution, a really vigorous digestive system, maybe they can have a little bit more in the way of salads and fresh foods to kind of balance them out. I've never really thought about this before, but when you're explaining this, I'm like, oh, I'm definitely more cool and dry for sure. Mm -hmm. And I do notice I don't do well with ice drinks. It just is like so shocking to me. I know. Well, and sometimes like, and there is sort of a level of how much of it is everybody doesn't do that well with ice drinks (laughs) (laughs) because it is cold for the digestive system. And I, I have more of a hot constitution, but I don't like a lot of cold drinks either just because it hurts my teeth. So there's like everybody's unique and it's not 
always constitution, but it definitely is a valid thing, I think, to look at for just about anybody and figuring out what to eat, what, what herbs to take, all of that really can help you dial in a little bit better. I know that they can do so much more than just like boost your immune system. What are some other things that herbs can help people with? There's so many different things. (laughs) Herbs can be really wonderful for all sorts of different things. I think that, so for example, I'm thinking about all of our formulas on the shelf right now. We have stuff for anxiety that's really helpful. So herbs can be really calming. There are nervine herbs, which are super great for soothing the nervous system, replenishing the nervous system, kind of shifting you from that fight or flight to more of a rest and digest state. And so that can be at the root of so many different things, which is why I kind of think of that first and foremost. Nervines, nervous system herbs are some of the most applicable for these times we're living in as so much comes down to stress but there are great herbs for digestive system, stimulating digestive secretions, as we kind of talked about, to have more of a robust elimination because we have to secrete all of these things in order to emulsify our fats and to like have enough digestive fire to digest proteins, all of that. So those are really great There are herbs which are called carminative, so it can help with gas or bloating, great for after meals. There are herbs for just liver health in general, helping to clear up skin issues or anything that has to do with like a sluggish liver, kidney herbs. So a lot of herbs happen to be diuretic which is why sometimes people will say, oh, I'm, I'm drinking. They'll come to me. I'll be like, so how much water are you drinking in a day? And they'll be like, well, I drink like one cup of water, but then I drink a lot of herbal tea. <laughs> and I'm like, well, maybe that's not actually, there are certain herbs which are hydrating and marshmallow, as I mentioned before, is one of these that can help us retain moisture, but a lot of herbs are diuretic. And so they end up being a little bit more drying. So, but if you need more cleansing of the kidneys, that can be really helpful. Um, There are certain herbs which can help to dilate the arteries. So they help with circulation, with cardiovascular health. I could just go on and on. (laughs) There's so many. I find it fascinating. I just think it's so cool. I think once in a while people, or maybe there's stigma to an extent of like, the natural route doesn't work. It's not as effective. What is your experience with that? Why do you think that is? So I think there are a couple of factors there. We are in this sort of medical paradigm, which is this for that. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, I have menstrual cramps. I need this. Or I have this. I need that. There's this very immediate gratification relationship that we have with a lot of the medications that are available to us. And we've created these sorts of ideas that something should work right away. And I think that some herbs do work like that. And some herbs are amazingly profound and make a really big difference immediately. But some herbs take time to be able to, you know, build up in the body to shift some patterns and things that have been happening as well as I think so the way that I like to work as a clinician I don't always have the privilege to do that in the front of the shop because people come in and they want sort of a this for that sort of situation Mm-hmm. But my favorite way to work with somebody is to be able to address diet, to address lifestyle, to look at, you know, what are you, what are your sleep patterns? What is your stress like? All of these different layers. What's your sense of purpose is like a really big piece. There are so many things that get more to the root cause of why somebody is experiencing something. And I think a lot of times if herbs don't work, 
it's maybe there's just nothing's gonna work because it's more of an underlying situation going on it's like you could take all of the i'm thinking of like a stimulating or like rhodiola like all of the adaptogens in the world are not going to help you have more energy if you just need to sleep more there's just like, there are certain things that it's not going to do anything if there's something really under the surface. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, I do think that everybody's really different. Some people are super sensitive and don't need a ton of an herb. And some people, I think, maybe don't really know how to play around with taking more of certain things. So for example, like we take, we drink a lot of tea from tea bags and often that's not really enough to be therapeutic. You know, it's like, and I love a good tea bag. I, as like an herbalist, sometimes I, one of my herb teachers, she would always kind of joke of like, she's addicted to tea bag tea because it's like, it's so convenient. And like, it's kind of like a naughty thing if you're an herbalist, because the quality is so much better if you're making tea from like bulk herbs. Mm -hmm. But there, so there, I love tea bag tea, but it's not typically a therapeutic dose. So if you're just drinking, for example, you can get like, I think it's traditional medicinals, nettle tea in Mm -hmm. a tea bag. It's really not going to be that, you know, it's going to be better than nothing, but in terms of enough to render a really like um, noticeable difference, it might not be enough. And so I think that that plays into it. And then also certain herbs, you know, people don't quite look at what the actual dosage is on a tincture bottle and they might see that it's like, it says three droppers but they think that that's three drops. So that would definitely probably not be enough unless it's like a low dose herb. So there's this variability with individuals and then having the strength of medicine, but beyond that, some root things that are often contributing to whatever we're experiencing. That makes so much sense. Everybody's lifestyle is so different, what they eat, what they grew up on, belief systems around things like sleep and stress, one thing isn't going to be a one size fits all for everyone. Do you have certain O2s or routines or things that you like? Yeah. Most of the time, it's not even herbal. I think that I can't quite say that because I don't know. I don't think that any one herb is good for everybody, but nervous system herbs can really help most of us. Just putting that out there. But in terms of practices sleeping is so important yeah having a consistent routine so instead of trying to wake up really early a couple mornings and then sleeping in super late a couple mornings like on the weekends it's better to try and create a routine that's consistent um all the time And everybody has a different threshold when it comes to sleep as to how much really makes them feel rested. And some people need more, some people need less, but finding that and being able to create a really sacred space to be like, this is when I'm sleeping and this is when I'm waking up can make a lot of people feel better. Mm -hmm. And exercise is something that depends so much on the person but creating some sort of ritual of daily movement. So walking is like one of the best things and we don't do it that much. Just especially if you don't have a dog, making an excuse to go for a walk, even if it's five minutes around the block, getting outside, getting fresh air, moving the lymphatic system, moving the body is so important. And then Eating, uh, one of the things that I've noticed be one of the most profound therapeutic shifts for a lot of people is eating a breakfast that's high in protein. So what can happen a lot of times, especially with fatigue patterns, is if you eat a super carby breakfast, like, you know, a coffee and a croissant, 
while that's really nice and tastes good, it usually will create this sort of um, pattern of a blood sugar spike that then gets dipped and then the person will have uneven, so many things can be connected to this. Like their appetite will be usually higher throughout the day. Their energy levels will drop in the afternoon and they'll need another croissant or another thing to pick them coffee to pick them back up. And there can be a lot of emotional dysregulation associated with that sort of pattern as well. So because when our blood sugar drops, we get hangry and Mm -hmm. there are all of these other things that people won't quite notice that, Oh, I started eating a high protein breakfast and my anxiety has reduced tremendously. So I think that that can be one of the biggest transformative easy, simple shifts that people can make. And yeah, having things like eggs and like dinner foods, for For example. Yeah, for breakfast. Dinner for breakfast is like one of the best things you can do. Soups for breakfast, chicken noodle soup or stuff like that can be really, really good for creating more energy and just a better balanced state of mind. I'm like, I've been there. (laughs) I know, me too. If somebody lives a very stress-filled lifestyle, what do you suggest? You know, I'm working with it every day. (laughs) (laughs) Right now, I'm like, okay, I know all the things. And I'm trying to really do it myself because I'm in a stressful little period right now. So one of the things that I'm trying to do personally is take a lunch break. (laughs) And I know that that might, for some people, they're like, oh, I have a lunch break. But for some people, I think they might be able to relate to this. I've been, I will kind of go without um, eating. And then I'm like in this stress pattern. And I don't get hungry and all this stuff. And so something that I've recently been really trying to do to help my nervous system to be more balanced and create more sanctity around my food is to take a whole hour lunch break away from work where I make myself food and I sit down and I do not work while I'm eating. And that, even though it's might seem like obvious, I think can be really hard for a lot of people, especially if they work from home or they're working on the computer or different things like that, just creating a time to sit and eat in the middle of the day. And then other practices like going for walks, taking breaks, taking deep breaths. It's something that can make the biggest difference just to wake up in the morning and not do anything immediately. If you have the time to wake up a little bit earlier where you can maybe do a meditation or take some deep breaths first thing in the morning or in the evening. Um, One of my favorite practices is taking baths. It makes me reset. There's something so therapeutic about that for me. Uh, But right now I'm living in a place where I don't have um, as much access to a bathtub. And so something that I've been really trying to do is recreating a bath experience. So I will take a shower and then put oil on my body, herbal oils and stuff like that. So it feels really luscious and good. And then I'll cozy up under my covers and turn off the lights, only have candles and some low music, things like that. The the aspects of what reset my nervous system about the bath, I just try to recreate that. We all have different practices which help us return back to homeostasis. So if you can incorporate more of those things and if you don't have access to them, how can you make that become a part of your routine even just in the littlest way? Like maybe it is just turning off the lights and sitting in darkness for three to five minutes, but taking, having boundaries around your own well-being to mediate stress can be really helpful. We're in winter currently, but spring's right around the corner. 
how do you adapt to seasons? Because I know plants change, fruits that become in season or they go out of season. Is that something we should be paying attention to? Yeah, it is. And I think that especially when our grocery stores do not reflect the season, it can be a little confusing, not only for individuals and knowing what to do with that, and then also our bodies just in general. I think that eating as close to seasonally is a really, really beautiful way to engage with the seasons and to allow our bodies to ease into what it really needs during those times. I mean, during the winter, the things that are in season are more root vegetables, things that are sweet and earthy and those foods are really, really palliative to the times of like winter. We need a little bit more of that grounding, the starchiness, the sweetness. And as spring is around the corner, one of the foods that I really love to engage with in the spring, uh, obviously with really good identification, (laughs) dandelion greens, other like really bitter foods, the things that are coming into season, things that are first coming up from the earth that's been blanketed in snow are often like dandelions. These, you know, in certain places, chickweed and violet, cleavers. There are a lot of really beautiful spring tonic greens, nettles that are coming up in nature. And as they're coming up, that's exactly what our bodies need. They help to relieve stagnation, help with lymphatic flow, stimulating the liver and all of these different things to help move. Because I think for a lot of people moving, especially from winter to spring can be really challenging because we've been in this spot of like nourishing and of darkness and to move. It's, it's this unearthing of our little seeds from the soil. It's a bit uncomfortable, especially for people who love that rest that winter tends to grant us. Mm -hmm. And more introverted folks, stuff like that can really, um, it can be challenging. And so those spring herbs are really great for incorporating during the springtime. And just in general, herbs that are in season tend to be so beautiful to work with. For example, I just did a class on elderberry and we were really focusing on the elderberry because it's this beautiful winter immune tonic. It's really rich and dark and wintry. And then I was thinking so much about also elderflowers, which are so, so amazing to work with during the summer because they are super light and floral and fragrant. There's this quality that's so uplifting about herbs for summertime and also things that are like hydrating and cooling. Whereas in the winter, things that are warming and earthy and rooty are a little bit better indicated. So it's all about figuring out what is in season in terms of what fruits and vegetables are in season, but also what herbs are in season. And like, you know, winter medicine, nothing's really that in season, but there there are more so medicines that align with the energy of winter, just like there are medicines that align with the energy of summer. I know you have a lot of different, like there's tinctures, there's oils, there's salves, there's all of these different modalities, I guess, of the way that the herbs are used is one better than the other. How would you know when you need one or the other? It has a lot to do with solubility. And that is something that you can get into the nerdy rabbit hole of it. (laughs) But something that I really love to preface this sort of conversation with is that any herb or any medicine that you can take is the best medicine. Mm. So I think that it's, I love getting into the weeds of it, but at the same time, there's often not as much nuance as 
for example, I'm thinking of like nutritive herbs. So we have like a Nutramix blend, which is a tincture formula of all of these different really nutritive, mineral-rich herbs. And when somebody comes in the shop and they need something that's really great for, yeah, they're just like, I need more vitamins and minerals. Give me something that's rich in nutrients. We're typically going to direct them to our nourishment tea because minerals extract better in water. They just do. And they don't really, because of polarity of substances and the plants and their chemistry, minerals don't really extract that well in alcohol. But if you look at the tincture, it's green, it's dark, it's rich. There is medicine there. There is something there. So we're going to direct somebody to the nourishment tea because that is going to be better in terms of minerals. But if they're like, I'm just not going to drink a tea, I need something, what's my next best option, then the, the Nutramix tincture mm. would make sense for them. So there are these levels of like, you know, and same, like if they weren't going to want to take that tincture, then maybe the nettle tea in the tea bag from traditional medicinals would be the next best option. You know, there are these levels of like, what is the best way? Mm -hmm. And it depends a lot on the person and what they're willing to do. But in general, teas are really great. If somebody's willing to make a tea, it's like usually... I think probably because there's practice of drinking tea that is in and of itself therapeutic, especially mm -hmm. if it's warm and it's cozy and it's comforting. And it's this, it's more of an engagement with your medicine because if you're taking a tincture, it's so convenient. It's so great for people who have a fast paced life, but you don't really have to engage with it as much. You don't have to put in the work and that's great for some who just need something. But then if you really want to develop a relationship with your medicine and create that sort of exchange with your healing, I think that teas can be really profound in creating the doorway for that just because of the time it takes and the ritual associated with it and the act of drinking it. So, and then in terms of oils, I don't typically um, give herbs in the form of oil to be taken internally, but any topical application, that's the best way to do that. So, and I think too, there, there is a whole nother realm that I'm starting to get into that I really love in working with my clients is creating herbal powders and those are really great because you can mix them into whatever that person might be doing the most. So for example, I just created an herbal powder for a client and I'm saying that she can add it to a small amount of hot water and then gulp it all down like a sludge. And that's really good. It, the powder was designed to soothe the lining of the gut and feed the gut bacteria. So that's a really great way to do that. But I said, if you want to mix it up, you can add it to applesauce. You can add it to honey and then put that in your tea, or you can add it to nut butter or coconut oil or all of these different ways to work with it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a little bit more nuanced depending on the person. Okay. But I do. So, but the best medicine is the medicine that you'll take. For someone maybe like me who I have some knowledge of this, but definitely nowhere near your level, but I don't live in a, a space where I can come into your store and like ask you questions. What do you recommend for somebody who's like, I'm interested in this, but I have no idea where to start? I think that the best way to start is to get a few herbal books. There are so many out there and you can kind of see who you resonate with. I'll just say that my first, well, and you have to be careful about getting one that's too advanced because in my experience, so when I was probably 17, I went into the herb shop in Albuquerque where I grew up and I was like, I want an herb book. And the guy who was working there gave me, he referred me to Matthew Wood. Um, it's like the Earthwise Herbal Book. And so I got it and I was 
totally enraptured in it. I thought it was so cool, but it was pretty advanced. And I remember kind of reading it and not really being able to understand. I was a bit overwhelmed. And so I then went back into the herb shop and the guy was like, I think maybe I gave you one that was too advanced, didn't I? I was like, yeah, you did. I don't know anything. (laughs) And so then he gave me Rosemary Gladstar's the begin it was like it's like the beginner's guide to medicinal herbs and it's a very great place to start you know especially books that have a lot of pictures and feel really like you can get to know the plants and that book was a really great introduction for me and then from there I you know it's great to find mentors if you can because it's it allows for a lot more confidence but there are great online classes that are beginner associated just home herbalism types of things but i think that books are a really amazing place to start for most people and there are some really really great ones out there and especially if you can find some with pictures it's typically a little bit easier of an introduction I think that's a really good place to start. And then and then being able to try herbs yourself and seeing what they do in your body and seeing how you are reacting to them, doing case studies on yourself. That's one of the things that for a while I was doing herbal monographs and doing my own research. And this is very much so how I am as a person. I understand a lot of people don't have the time or the self-motivation to, you know, do their own research papers, but it was a really great way for me personally to get a little bit more of an understanding of these herbs on an individual level. And so I would be like, this month I'm studying comfrey. And so I would do all of this research, go through all of the herbal books I had, and I would take notes about comfrey. And then I would kind of write it up as a cohesive monograph that I could refer to for my own sorts of reference and just instilled it in my memory really, really well. So those are some tools for just kind of starting out. Yeah, that makes sense because there's a lot. It just feels like there's a lot. Yeah. And that's, there's a lot, I still feel like there's a lot. There's so many herbs and that's kind of what I love about it because I will never know all of the plants and I will never know all of it. And so there's always a great place for growth and deepening within herbalism. Okay. I have one more question for you. Okay. Are there things, um, whether it's foods, herbs, ever? that you avoid or that you like, don't recommend to people. And I'm going to use coffee as an example really quick. Cause you're like, it's very drying. I love coffee and I'm not going to give up coffee, but if I am going to drink it, are there ways to like counteract it or are there things that like, you just completely avoid? Yeah, there are ways to counteract the negative effects of coffee. I also love coffee (laughs) and it's one of those things that, so for example, my herb teacher, Paul Bergner, he talks a lot about coffee and how it's for a lot of Americans, one of the places they get the most antioxidants. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. And there are certain things about coffee that can help you a little bit be, sorry, help you be a little bit more sensitive to insulin. So it can kind of help regulate blood sugar. I mean, there, there are a lot of negative effects for certain people and there are also benefits. So it's all about relationship and Mm -hmm. finding your own balance with it. I mean, drinking a lot of coffee, like more than for, I think everybody knows their own threshold, but when you go over that threshold, we probably all know how that feels. And it's really intense on the nervous system. And especially if you're in a stressful state or there's a lot going on, it can be taxing. And so some of the ways that if I'm drinking coffee, I like to mediate the dryness, as we have talked about, by drinking marshmallow infusions. 
And if I don't do that, I notice this sort of more of an agitation. And that's one of the qualities of over dryness in constitution is this low level agitation picture. And there's also the caffeine, you know, which can do that in addition. But I think that personally, if I, if I have a marshmallow infusion after I have a cup of coffee, it can help me feel a little bit more balanced. And, um, and just nervous system herbs in general. So things like milky oats are really helpful for replenishing a nervous system that's been depleted. So if you're feeling like coffee is overtaxing your nervous system, the best thing to do is like slow down a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe don't drink as much um, or cut it out altogether. But if you were like, I'm not going to give it up, then palliating it with things that are moistening and things that help support and soothe the nervous system are going to be the best ways to kind of mediate those effects. Okay. Amazing. Where can everybody find you? I'll link your website in the show notes, um, but let them know everywhere else. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram which Erica has helped me develop. And so I feel a lot more confident about it. We post a lot more of beautiful photos and videos and informative content. So the Instagram is dancing willow herbs co co. And yeah, the website, please sign up for our newsletter that we have on there. It's dancingwillowherbs.com and we can ship. So even if you're not in Durango, you can get some good handcrafted herbal products made in our lab here in the shop. Thank you so much and for sharing all of this. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. If you loved this episode, please let me know. Subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, share it on your Instagram stories and with your friends. And let's continue the conversation on Instagram. I'm at Erica Ashley and at Irrepressible the Podcast. Thank you so much for being here and I will see you next week.